Hey everyone, it's me, Rebecca. I'm currently on maternity leave, and while I'm away, we picked out some of our earlier episodes from the No Limits Vault so that you can get caught up and enjoy while I'm off. And just so you know, I pre-recorded this, so I actually am spending time with my baby right now. Bye. Stress and burnout are costing U.S. businesses $300 billion a year. The disengagement of employees because they're exhausted and running on empty, costing them $500 billion a year. So we're not talking about opinions or anecdotes. We are talking about hard data. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. Founders, actors, athletes, chefs, comedians, musicians. Bottom line, these are women who win. So how are they doing it? We're taking you way beyond the bios, looking at their struggles, triumphs, risks, biggest mistakes, and some of the worst advice they've heard along the way. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. My guest today has one of the most incredible, enviable, and transformative life stories I think I've ever seen. It begins in Greece, where she grows up in a one-bedroom apartment with her mother and sister and a dream of studying at Cambridge. A dream that seems far-fetched to many, but making far-fetched things, extraordinary things happen, becomes a constant throughout her life story. At 16, she goes to Cambridge on a scholarship and gets her master's in economics. From there, she goes on to write 15 books, starts a family, creates the Huffington Post, gets named to one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people. And if that wasn't enough, she founds another company, her latest, Thrive Global. Her mission? To make sure you get enough sleep. Ariana Huffington, welcome. Great to be with you. When you think about your past... Growing up in Greece, did did any of this cross your mind at that time? Did you envision any of this? No, of course not. And that's really what is amazing about life, though, how um, it takes us in such unexpected directions. And very often we think we make everything happen in our life. But really, when you look back, so many things are not things we make happen, but opportunities that we are open to. So I have a little saying um, by my bed that says life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. And I love that because it makes you exhale and realize that not everything is on your shoulders. And um, for me, getting enough sleep and allowing time for yourself to reconnect with yourself and recharge is really so essential in life, especially right now when we are truly at an inflection point. Uh, Modern technology has accelerated life um, to such an extent that we are not really able to cope. What did you want to be as a kid? What was your dream? I really wanted to be a journalist. I had a father who was a journalist. And um, and so I, I grew up in the romance of um, moving hearts and minds through words. And then when I went to Cambridge to study economics, I, I fell in love with uh, debating. So I got very involved with the Cambridge Union, the debating society. I became president of the Cambridge Union by actually <laughs> really... Um, teaching myself to speak because I was a terrible speaker. With you were a, a terrible speaker? Oh, my God. Painfully bad. Why? 
because you know I've I this was English was my second language. I had a very heavy accent. I was very nervous, and uh, I had never done it before. And I really taught myself to speak. And um, loved what did you it. did you have exercises that you did to teach yourself? No, to speak? I would just uh, um, I would just wait at every debate at the Cambridge Union until I was called to speak, which was often like I was the last one because I was so bad. But I practiced. It was purely by practice, preparing and practicing. And now I love it more than anything, more than writing. But this is also something I tell everyone who feels nervous about speaking or feels they can't do it, that it's another thing we can teach ourselves to do. Is there anything that you still want to teach yourself to do at this point? Well, right now, I feel Thrive is going to be my last chapter. I I thought the Huffington Post was going to be my <laughs> last chapter, but then Thrive and the Sleep Revolution, um, my last two books uh, became more and more important to me, the subject matters. And so uh, there's so much we can do here to change uh, the way we work and live. I'm so excited to to have just embarked on this journey. In your introduction letter, there was something that really resonated with me. It, it basically talked about technology and that it said, living today the way that we are leaves us depleted, distracted, and unfulfilled. And yes. you have all of these examples on the Thrive Global website of people who everyone would imagine on the outside looking in, like they're living the greatest life in the world but they're not enjoying and appreciating it for many reasons. One of the reasons being they're just not sleeping enough. Yes, and not sleeping enough is really a symptom of a larger problem, which is the assumption that in order to succeed, we have to minimize downtime. Uh, I traced it back to the first Industrial Revolution when we started thinking that human beings are like machines, and the goal of a machine is to minimize downtime. But that's not how human beings were made. So uh, downtime is not a bug of the human operating system. It's a feature. That's the time when we reconnect with ourselves. And right now, as algorithms are replacing so many functions at work, the talent that we need to recruit to our businesses, to whatever it is we're doing, um, is the most creative talent. And creativity is the first thing that goes when you're sleep-deprived, exhausted, and burnt out. You know, you can still do transactional things. You can answer emails. You can pay bills. But when it comes to coming up with great ideas, with finding solutions to problems, shortcuts to problems, that ability is much harder to tap into. I think that raises a really interesting point. The early stages of any career are the execution stage. It's the how can I help you boss, manager, whomever. And a lot of it is more of that transactional stuff. And the people who tend to rise to the top along the way are the ones who are the yes people who are showing up early and leaving late at night. Um, and, and so I wonder in inside of this, you know, you're getting now eight hours of sleep, yes, 90, 95% of the time, of 90, the time. 95% of the yeah. time. Along the way, when it was more of that sort of transactional work to get the book done, I mean, obviously, there had to be a lot of creativity there, too. But along the way, how much were you sleeping? 
So I wasn't, and that's really how I came to collapse, you know, and uh, hit my head on my desk and break my cheekbone, and that's now almost 10 years ago. That was your wake-up call. And that was my wake-up call. And the reason why I became such an evangelist of this new way of living that we call thriving is because I now know that we can actually get to that place where we are achieving and creating and getting things done without burning out. In fact, we can get there much faster. That's why I want to stop using the term work-life balance because it is not based on science. It's not like we have to balance work and life. The truth is very different that when we prioritize our life, meaning taking care of ourselves, our work gets better. They fall and rise in tandem. It's not like they're in opposition and we have to balance them. And the new science is so unequivocal now. That's what is so exciting about this moment. We are in the moment of a culture shift. It is happening. So you're right that the majority of places still valorize the people who are always on. But the trailblazers are recognizing that they need to reward the people who know how to take care of themselves. They are going to be the ones who are going to do the best work. They are going to make the best decisions. As Jeff Bezos wrote in in a launch piece on the site, he gets eight hours sleep, and this is good for Amazon shareholders, as he puts it. So it's not like he's balancing the, the needs of Jeff Bezos with the needs of Amazon. They are being nourished from the same source. That, that's still revolutionary as an idea, uh, but more and more people are willing to um, acknowledge how they thrive and how they are good leaders and how do they bring these practices into their workplace. And, you know, often, Rebecca, it comes down to decisions we make during the day. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, on our launch day for Thrive Global, I had to get up really early after staying up late because we are literally shipping product. We are making sure all the code worked when we unveiled the, our website, etc. I had to get up really early to go to CNBC's Quark Box, and then I had a series of interviews. And by the time I got to, it got to lunch, I was really running on empty. I was operating like a zombie. That feeling that I so hate now that I used to actually be in most of my days before my wake-up The fog that you used to live in. The fog, exactly, that I used to live in. And I thought, this is an amazing day. I'm launching my new company, and not only am I not enjoying it, but I'm beginning to feel exactly like I'm asking everybody to stop feeling. This is not working. So I canceled three interviews in the afternoon, I went home and meditated for an hour and a half, and I came back and I was completely recharged and ready to have an amazing time at the launch party, amazing time in the sense of connecting with all these people who had come, who cared about the message, instead of just dragging myself through the night. Checking off the boxes. Checking off the boxes. And so sometimes something has to give. But showing up fully present um, in our lives is ultimately much more important. So that's that's how I navigate my life now. You know, nothing is ever perfectly figured out in advance. We have to make decisions moment by moment. I think one of the hardest questions uh, for me, and I think for a lot of other people, is when we all know that something's got to give. 
But the question is what? Right. And when you're faced with that moment, here you are on your launch day. (laughs) This is game time. But obviously, you don't want to be a hypocrite and go through it in the fog that you're essentially evangelizing people to try and turn away from. Exactly. How do you approach those questions of what do I trade? What are the trade-offs that I am willing to make? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. I think one of the hardest questions uh, for me, and I think for a lot of other people, is when we all know that something's got to give, but the question is what? Right. And when you're faced with that moment, here you are on your launch day, (laughs) this is game time, but obviously you don't want to be a hypocrite and go through it in the fog that you're essentially evangelizing people to try and turn away from. Exactly. How do you approach those questions of what do I trade? What are the trade-offs that I am willing to make? So first of all, we all have much more discretionary time than we acknowledge. Um, Somebody's watching House of Cards and Game of Thrones, right? (laughs) It's not me. You don't watch any of that. I've watched one episode of it just because it's part of the culture, and I would have loved to watch more. It's not like I don't want to, but it's something that had to give for me in order to be able to do everything I'm doing and get um, the sleep and recharging time that I need. Did you take a quiet moment and look at everything and assess, these are all the things I'm spending (laughs) my time on and these are the ones I'm willing to cut, these are the ones I'm willing to keep? Um, Sometimes I do that and sometimes it becomes automatic. I mean, I also have a saying that says you can complete a project by dropping it. (laughs) By which I mean sometimes we start projects even in our head. Sure. Things even like learning a new language or finishing a book that we're no longer interested in. And and I'm now ruthless about dropping them. If either I'm not really going to put energy into it or um, this is not vital and mission critical. So ruthless prioritization is absolutely key. I look at my inbox sometimes and think about just hitting delete and what would happen if I got rid of everything that's sitting there. When you look at your inbox, how do you think about it? Well, um, inbox survival techniques are incredibly important. This is part of Thrive yes, Bo- Bobo. One of, the, is... one of the um, elements that you've created is a technology to help people yes, with that. Yes, exactly. We have a whole technology platform with a suite of products to help people navigate their addiction to technology. Um, one of our, my favorite apps that we just launched is called Thrive Away, and it's to be used when you go on vacation. Right now, when we go on vacation, we put in this um, out-of-office email, right, which is totally useless. How often um, have you gotten an out-of-office email from someone and five minutes later you get a response? <laughs> Completely. Because, you know, once, once you see the email... You get those responses, Ariana. When people see an email from you, you get the response. When people see an email from me, they just no, ignore it. No, <laughs> I don't believe that. The truth is that we are all addicted to respond once we see the email. Right. So um, this app that we've created makes it possible for you to send an email uh, when you're on vacation that says Rebecca is on vacation 
Um, she will return on um, January fifteenth. If this is urgent, please contact so and so. If it is not, email her after January fifteenth. This email will be deleted. Mm, I like that. And so it is amazing. You can actually be on vacation with zero emails in your inbox. That is critical. Right, because, because when you come back, it's like the whole thing resets and is much more exactly, stressful than it had you not taken the vacation in the first place. And when you come, first of all, you have that time where you can really disconnect from technology and the demands of the world. And when you return, it's actually pretty humbling. I, I did it last year because, A, so much has been handled in your absence. Right. <laughs> and it's not like you're inundated with emails because so many of the emails you, we get are not mission critical. So um, that's just one app. Another app is called Silo, and it turns your smartphone into a dumb phone for specified periods of time. You know, you're having dinner with uh, friends or um, children um, while you sleep, so that basically this is like sacred time. We are reclaiming our humanity. Um, we need to keep controlling technology and not allow it to control us. We are getting to the point where technology is becoming to control us, and that's a very dangerous moment. And I, I hear that from a number of executives now, too. I mean, they are looking at both their company, they're looking at their own lifestyle, and they're they're looking at the fact that everything that they've worked to build isn't all that enjoyable because of technology and how pervasive it is. I wonder, beyond paying lip service at the executive level to the merits of all of this, how does this become more ingrained in the culture of places such that, for example, there are email policies, there are time off policies that are that are actually enforced? Well, it's happening. And we, all our corporate partners that we are working with have different ways of approaching it. At Accenture, for example, um, they're introducing an entry interview. You know how we have an exit interview? <laughs> <laughs> Why not have an entry interview where you ask everybody who comes in, what is inviolate for you? What is, is there something during your day that is really important to you? And how can we support you in getting that done? So right off the bat, you've already right set a, a boundary around the yes, thing you want you to protect. Say, it's very important for me to take my daughter to school at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. It's very important for me to make my violin lesson or <laughs> visit my ailing mother, whatever it is. And then instead of sort of the team, without knowing that this is important to you, Rebecca, sets up a morning 8 a.m. team meeting because we just don't express ourselves. You know, that could be held just as easily at 8.30 if people knew that this is really important to Rebecca. Rebecca is a critical member of the team. Let's have the meeting half an hour later. There will always be times when this is not possible. We are talking about what can be, what is the norm, and we're all ready to deal with things outside the norm. But we're not running on empty when we need to pull an all-nighter or do something that is suddenly urgently needed of us. I would imagine there are people listening thinking, Ariana, please talk to my boss. Please talk to my company and lay it out for them. Because while you have the Etnas of the world and plenty of others who have signed on with Thrive, there are a myriad of other companies that are cutting costs they are asking more and more of their employees and employees feel like I'm here and I wouldn't be here. I'd be fired. I'd be let go if I didn't live up to these demands. Absolutely. I feel we're in an um, incredible time of transition where multiple behaviors are coexisting. 
But what I see happening is more and more major companies taking the lead in this area, and then others are watching. And they're seeing how this is a competitive advantage. This is not a soft benefit. This affects the kind of people you recruit and retain. It affects your healthcare costs. It affects your productivity. It affects how engaged your employees are. And we are launching, for example, together with Glassdoor, a Thrive Index for companies. So employees can vote which are the companies that practice these things. And, you know, especially millennials, they don't want to work the way my generation worked. And one of the major problems companies are having right now is recruiting great millennials and retaining them. Right. And and managing uh, the, the situation for for. Young people who are coming into the workforce, you mentioned your your background. You had your wake-up call less than 10 years ago. You were working around the clock. How do especially the newer generations of workers balance the health side with that tension of, I got to be the first one in, I got to be the last one out, and I have to be the yes person if I'm going to progress in my career? Well, the truth is that you got to be the most creative and smarter person. That's much more important than how many hours you put at your desk. And all the evidence now is absolutely unequivocal. I'm talking about scientific evidence. You know, people should look at the science and they should look at the data. And uh, it's, it's totally unequivocal. When we are um, sleep-deprived and exhausted, we are operating at a cognitive deficit equivalent to being drunk. Um, the CMO of J.P. Morgan, another company we're working on, Kirsten Lemkow, wrote a piece on Thrive Global where she said, every bad decision I made, I made when I was tired. Every bad hiring decision, every project she said I, I, I agreed that could go forward before I had given it enough attention and time. Every time I overreacted and snapped at somebody because I was running on empty. So now you have senior executives coming out and saying that. I think these are major moments in corporate history that are changing the way we work and live. It's not going to happen overnight. But suddenly we're giving permission to employees to acknowledge their humanity and to also acknowledge that when they do that, they're more productive. So if you're the employee and you're being asked to do things that are above and beyond, that are depriving you of sleep, I think probably everyone listening has been there at some point. What's the conversation? I think the conversation is to really show the employer the data. Not to be adversarial. It's all right on your website. So you could it's just all, send them a few all links. It's on the website. <laughs> and to say, listen, I'm, as, as a lot of people are doing more and more, and they're telling us that, you know, I'm going to work amazingly well and do a terrific job for the company. But I, am, I turn off my phone at whatever time it is that works for them. And if it's urgent, you can reach me in that way that you designate. But otherwise, I'll be at work at such and such a time in the morning. You set your boundaries. And these are boundaries that make you more productive. Also, employers now are seeing the data. They're seeing the numbers that um, basically 75% of healthcare costs and health um, care conditions uh, are because of stress-related preventable diseases, 75%. Um, stress and burnout are costing U.S. businesses $300 billion a year. 
the disengagement of employees because they're exhausted and running on empty, costing them $500 billion a year. So we're not talking about opinions or anecdotes. We are talking about hard data. The Rand Corporation just put out a new study that shows that sleep deprivation is costing the U.S. economy $411 billion a year. When I wrote my book on the sleep revolution, which was published last April, that number was $68 billion. So all these risks are accelerating because we've reached that point where we really have no more bandwidth. <laughs> you know, everything now gets worse much faster. One of the books that you wrote many years ago was a biography of Pablo Picasso. And it stands out to me. I did a project on Pablo Picasso in fifth grade. And so for whatever reason, it was always he's always been somebody that I've I've thought about that has had a big impact on my life. And there was a quote um, that always stood out to me when I was a kid. He said, I paint as others write their autobiography. My canvases are the pages of my diary. Ariana, how do you paint? So definitely, um, whatever has happened in my life becomes um, part of my work. I mean, after all, as we already discussed, my collapsing from burnout and exhaustion really has been responsible for a large part of the last 10 years of my life, and I'm sure the next 10 years of my life. So um, again, it's part of this integration of life and work that um, my experiences in my life uh, um, become really fodder for what I do at work. Do you think you'll take a vacation anytime soon? Oh, I do take <laughs> vacations. But what is interesting is that even during this lead up to the launch, with the exception of the last day, I was able to get my eight hour sleep, but I worked, say, through the Thanksgiving break. That's not a problem for me. The problem would be working without recovery time. You need that light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. You need that recovery, and then you can keep going. So a lot of the time we think that we'll take that time off and then we'll pull all-nighters. That is really a much more dysfunctional way of doing things rather than trying to bring the breaks and the, and the recharging time every day. Ariana Huffington, great speaking with you. Congratulations and best wishes. I hope you can convert the entire world of corporations to giving us all more sleep. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis, and of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well.